It's 12.09. This is Jeff Wagner. So, Eric, I'm, I'm having a good day. Okay, yeah, okay. Last night I went to the Brewers game. Great. Oh, yeah. Rue, did you end up going? You ended up not going. All right. You went to that bar and just got stuck at the bar drinking all night. That's tough. Instead, so you got stuck. He tells me, I got tickets. Maybe I'll look you up. You're going to the game? I said, yeah, this is where I'm going to be. He didn't see him all night. And he said, well, we might not get there in time for the, the very beginning because we're we're going to go to this bar and like have a beer or something. So that one beer turned into a... Or something. Uh, or, or something. All right. Okay. So my producer... My producer decided not to go to the ball game and instead stayed at the bar all night. I'll let people draw their own conclusions. I went to the ball game and it, it was just it, you missed a great game. I hope those beers were good. I mean, twelve to three, it was a great game. So in a good mood. Um, and then this morning, okay, Eric, this I, I opened my email. You know, getting ready for the show. Mm-hmm, I opened my mm-hmm. email, and I'm telling you, pal, I just I just want you to know it's been a pleasure working with you because here 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 is my email right here, Mercedes Benz claim code. W seven zero nine zero two zero three nine. Dear email owner, addressed to me here at WTMJ, we happily announce that your email address has been selected among the winners of the Mercedes Benz International Online Lottery. Hey. Draw 2017-2018 Xmas and New Year promo. You are now the winner. Of a brand new Mercedes Benz C300 Formatic 2018 model and the grand prize of, um, I think that's $4,500,000. I originally read it as $4,500,000. Uh, those are an extra three zeros. Four billion. Hey. All right. It's four and a half billion dollars. I just thought I won four and a half million. Oh, it, no, it's four and a half billion dollars. Now, they do need some information here. Um, for easy claim of your winnings, for easy claim of your winnings, you simply um, advise to contact our claim agent, Barrister Stephen Rodemeyer, in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And it's got the, the address here. And I'm supposed to provide him the beneficiary full name. Uh, Fran, you got lucky here. Contact email address <laughs> office. <laughs> My wife is just now the beneficiary of $4.5 billion. Honey, quit the job. Or maybe not. All necessary information on what to do in receiving your winnings will be treated by our claim agent once contacted by you. Uh, delivery costs. There, there is a delivery cost that's mandatory in claiming your winnings. Mm-hmm. Sure, so sure. got to put something up front to get that $4.5 billion. I've got a reference code, and it's from Mercedes-Benz, Inc. I, I'm telling you. I've it's always been day. really nice to you, by the way. I <laughs> hope you remember that. Well, I, I tell you what. Tell you what, if I really have four and a half billion dollars coming, you're in for a million. I, I oh, guarantee. Mark it down. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's a good. Right. Who answers these? I mean, I, I'm reading this thing. Think obviously, there, there must be somebody somewhere who responds and sends these people money. You just need one. All you need <laughs> is one to make it worth this yes. all. Four and a half billion dollars. And the Brewers won. Go figure. Go figure. All right. number of people are asking me if I'm going to comment on this breaking news story. And I say breaking news story, and I've got air quotation marks here. The Democratic Party has filed a lawsuit against Russia, the Trump campaign, WikiLeaks, and et cetera, et cetera, alleging a conspiracy to tilt the 2016 election to President Trump. People are asking me if I'm going to comment on it. The answer is no, because this is the ultimate in fake news. Let me put it like this. This is a publicity stunt in the highest level. The lawsuit is frivolous. That has a particular meaning in the law. 
Um, it's nothing but a manipulation of the courts in order to get a headline, and we are not going to dignify it on this program. So if you hear news accounts of this or, you know, talking heads breathlessly say, oh, there was a lawsuit by the Democratic Party, blah, 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 it's a publicity stunt, nothing more. And candidly, whatever lawyer filed it, whoever, whichever lawyer filed it, um, I mean, I think this might be one where you start looking at, is there a good faith basis to do it? All right. Let us get started. Today is the, what, 19th, and I hate to say anniversary because that's a bad way of looking at it, but 19 years ago today, there was the Columbine shooting. I remember it vividly because at the time of the Columbine shooting, um, it was unthinkable that somebody could commit a crime like that in an American high school. And as a matter of fact, I, I vividly remember we probably did nothing but talk about Columbine for the next week or two weeks on my program and other similar programs because people were just astounded that something like this could happen. Unfortunately, this has now become much more commonplace. All right. So this is the 19th anniversary of that, that deadly day. I don't know, and I tweeted about this earlier. You can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I, I don't know what is going on in the Oconomowoc school system, but, but here's what happened. Earlier this year, the long-serving principal in Oconomowoc left under terms that uh, are, seem really, really odd. On top of that, the school board cut a deal where they are paying him an enormous, what strikes me as being an enormous amount of money, um, presumably in return for his resignation. So there, there's, Oconomowoc appears to be sort of in turmoil. Let me share with you a story as it is written in the Journal Center, or at least a portion of it. The headline is, Milwaukee area students will march on Columbine anniversary as they, see, as they continue to seek gun reform. Here's the way at least a portion of the story reads. On the anniversary of the 1999 Columbine High School shooting, students in the Milwaukee area will hold another walkout to raise awareness about gun violence. Two events are being held, one by Oconomowoc High School students and another by Shorewood High School and Rufus King High School students April 20th. Both events are part of the National School walkout taking place across the nation. Now, I should mention that the Shorewood, I don't think the Shorewood kids are in school today. This is another one of those sort of like constant days off that they get so the teachers can go over lesson plans. So I don't think school is in session in Shorewood today, but it is in Oconomowoc. Here's the story. This is the Journal Sentinel. Now, follow me here. Oconomowoc's event is being led by, name's a kid, one of the organizers of the March 14th walkout at his school. It will start at 10 a.m., where students will meet outside the school and march to the green in downtown Oconomowoc, arriving at 10.40 a.m. A rally will then begin at 11 a.m. with student speeches. Okay, so the walkout is at 10. They walk to the green. It begins then. The speeches begin at 11, student speeches. Guest speakers will then speak starting at 11.50 a.m., each having a 20-minute window. First will be Waukesha County Democratic Party Chairman Matt Lowe, followed by Kahari Pennebaker, the Wisconsin member of the National Democratic National Committee. And finally, Mandela Barnes, 
a former Democratic state representative and Democratic candidate for lieutenant governor. Outgoing Representative Joel Clayfish and Senator Scott Fitzgerald were invited but were unable to attend. The rally will conclude at 12.55, and then students will march back to the school. So, Oconomowoc, these kids are planning to walk out at 10 o'clock in the morning, walk to the green, have student speeches for the better part of an hour, and then be addressed by a variety of Democrats, including one who is running for office, for the better part of another hour, and then walk back to school. I have one question. Are officials at Oconomowoc nuts? I, I mean, seriously? All right, this is a school day. This is now the second quote-unquote walkout in the better part of a month. At some point in time, do we have to say, you know what? You know, this is a school day. People are supposed to be in class. We are not going to sanction this. We're not going to publicize this. And if you leave class, you are going to be in trouble. I mean, is Oconomowoc nuts for allowing something like this to go on? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Another day, another student walkout, this one in Oconomowoc that was scheduled to last three hours where students go essentially to be addressed by a number of members of the Democratic Party of Wisconsin or Democratic candidates huh? during the school day. 414-799-1620. We will discuss next. First, it's 1219. Let's go to the WTMJ Traffic Center. Thank you, sir. From the WTMJ Breaking News Center, of course, we're following the situation in Racine County. All lanes of southbound 94 at K are shut down because of this crash. They have the scene cleared as far as the fire goes. They're still trying to clean that all up, but because of that, you're not heading south. Right now, they have all the traffic continuing to be diverted off onto K, bringing you back on at 20. Significant delays because of that. The northbound lanes are open. We'll get you an update at 1230. It's 1219. 1222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We will continue to monitor this traffic mess um, down in uh, Racine County, which is going to apparently continue for quite a while. Uh, all right, today, okay, students at Oconomowoc apparently walked out. They have this organizer um, who planned what is essentially a political rally where you have a number of Democratic uh, speakers, chairman of the state, Dem- uh, the Waukesha County Democratic Party, a Democratic candidate for lieutenant governor, who are going to be talking about gun issues. It's a three-hour walkout. What? What is is Oconomowoc nuts to let something like this go on? Bob in Elkhorn. Bob, you're first. Hello. Hey, I'd like to know what you think if uh, it was a bunch of Republicans that were going to speak. I would think it would be wrong. They are supposed to be in school, not staging wildcat walkouts. No matter which party it was. That, huh? Yeah, I don't care. Thanks, thanks. No. Now, as it turns out, these kids um, and the organizer, they're being used as a prop for uh, political positions being taken. First of all, I think it's completely inappropriate. It would be one thing if the school, for example, wanted to invite in elected officials to have conversations about issues. That's not what this is. I mean, these aren't elected officials. It's the... You know, somebody from the Democratic National Committee and somebody from uh, the, the chairman of the state of the Democratic Party of Waukesha County. I mean, really, you're letting them do that. But putting aside, I don't care about the politics. No, the kids are supposed to be in school. I argued that the walkouts a month.
month ago were inappropriate and shouldn't have been sanctioned. This is a three-hour walkout in the middle of the school day on a Friday. The kids just got back from spring break, for goodness sakes. No, I don't think that this should be allowed. I think all the kids should be treated as having unexcused absences, and I think maybe there should even be some suspensions. At what point in time do we have to say enough of the silliness is enough? And I understand. Look, I, I understand that people can take positions, and I think it's great. I really do that you have young people getting involved in different issues. Okay, that that's fine. But if you want to stage a rally like this, stage it on your own time. Stage it after school. Have this, all right, we're getting together at 3.30 in the afternoon, and we're going to do the whole thing. You can do the exact same thing after school. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it, but then you're doing it on their time. But, of course, if you do it at 3.30, none of the kids are going to show up because, well, it's 3.30. You know, we got to get home to do whatever we're going to do. we got to play Call of Duty. Fred in Green Bay. Fred, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Uh, Jeff, I couldn't agree more. This is a this is this is just ridiculous. Did they did they have a rally at Oconomowoc the first time and yes. not get it right? Yeah, no they 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 did it. They did it in mid March. Now they're doing it doing it again today. Now, right. I, as far as I can tell, it, it's only Oconomowoc and it's only Rufus King and Shorewood. Shorewood doesn't have a school day today, so I, I have less of a beef with that. But Oconomowoc, it's a school day. Right. It's it's. They should be marked absent or truant or what have you and or have to make it up. You want to walk and go protest? I agree with you. Do it on your own time. If you want to do it during the school day, go ahead. We'll see you at the end of the year for your for your makeup session. Well, well, exactly. Right? Thanks for the call. I mean, this this should have been one really, really clearly. Instead of hey, we're going to embrace this and we're going to do this, school officials should have clamped down right away and said this is not going to happen. You know, you're not going to be. Here's my other question: During these marches, what happens if some kid gets injured? I mean, seriously, what what happens if during the course of this three-hour event, somebody gets hurt or they fall and they break their ankle or, or whatever? I mean, you know, where is the liability for this stuff? And again, my, my sense is it's kind of out of control at Oconomowoc. Like I said, their principal left under really weird circumstances at the end of February, and I, I get the idea that the school is kind of floundering. But th- this is it's – it's Rufus King, it's Shorewood. And it's it's Oconomowoc, of all places. Let's talk to Sarah in Appleton. Sarah, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, I was a freshman in 99, and my niece was actually born in 99, and she's in college now. And um, there's no way for these kids to necessarily know um, what happened at, at Columbine unless they were taught you know, what the significance was, and is this really educational? You know, and this seems to be organized by a bunch of Democrats, and, you know, I'm wondering... Well, it does seem like a political rally. No, thanks. I mean, it does seem like, again, Sarah, a political rally. Look, I don't mind student activism, okay? I'm a child of the 70s. I... I, I remember, you know, watching the, the Vietnam protests. I was a little bit too young for the Vietnam War. But I remember all that stuff. And, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong. And if students want to go and if, if kids want to protest and they want to march and they want to say, okay, we want more gun control laws or whatever, I'm okay with that. I don't object to political participation at all. But do it on your own time. And this idea, I objected to the marches last month. And now what are we going to do? Are we going to schedule, is it going to be a march a week? Is it going to be a march a month? I mean, seriously, at what point in time do you 
you know, do you say, look, enough is enough. And it is interesting that it's only Oconomowoc that apparently other than Shorewood, and Shorewood has a teacher's day today, so it's not a school day there. But Oconomowoc, it's like, here, we're, we're just going to we're gonna stage a rally, and we're going to invite like all these Democratic activists, not even elected officials, to talk to us, and then we're going to march back. Well, okay, here's the bottom line. Oconomowoc should have come out and said, we're not going to allow this. Boom, this isn't going to be done. You're not going to be allowed to leave the campus during the day. We are not going to countenance this. But, of course, um, nobody stepped up to say that, at least apparently. I read this description in the newspaper, and it's just mind-boggling that this could, in fact, go on. But yet it is the reality. It's 1228. When we come back, Southwest Airlines making it better or adding insult to injury. It's big story number two. Stick around. It's 1228. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Uh, speaking of the Brewers, great game last night that I attended. My producer, Gru, had tickets but chose to stay in the bar and drink instead of going to the ball game. Huh. Um, well, it's another Bucks brewers weekend at Radio City. Giannis and company are back on their home court as they look to get back into the series with the Celtics. Ted Davis is on the call. Our coverage starts at 810 this evening. You can also catch the Brewers and Marlins 635 on 94.5 KTI Country. Also, our Welcome Back Baseball promotion is in full swing because we had an early, uh, because I did not have a show Wednesday because of the Brewers. I have not one, but two separate giveaways today during the one o'clock hour and the two o'clock hour we're going to give away a four pack of tickets to see the brewers play the pittsburgh pirates on sunday may 6th as well as a 50 dollar gift card from our sponsor melvinmulch.com it's all part of our welcome back baseball initiative okay big story number two now let me just say this at the outset i'm a i'm a fan of Southwest Airlines. I Southwest Airlines is probably, I forget probably, I mean, it is it is my air carrier of choice. Um, now, obviously, it, so if, it, if you're flying out of Milwaukee, you, your choices now are unfortunately pretty limited. I'm not a fan of Frontier Airlines, just not. Uh, Delta, I've had nothing but good experiences on Delta, and but Southwest. But if I'm going to, for example, Las Vegas, like I was there last week, I, I know Southwest flies direct to Vegas. I, I So I, I fly on Southwest uh, a, a lot. So I like Southwest. I like the way they do things. Um, I am a satisfied, happy customer. I don't know if I would have felt the same way were I on that flight earlier this week where the engine uh, the, f- the engine essentially exploded. The, the fan that's in the engine comes off. The ring that's supposed to stop this from happening fails, and you have essentially shrapnel flying all over, and you have the one woman who's killed. I cannot imagine a more terrifying experience to be on a plane. All of a sudden, the oxygen, ma- you have this loud bang. One of the passengers is being sucked out of the window. She is pulled back in. Unfortunately, she passes away. Minor injuries for a handful of other passengers. But as far as physical injuries, um, thanks to, I think, the skill of the pilot, the attention of the crew, I, I think what could have been just a massive aviation disaster just turned into a, a disaster. And I'm not downplaying the death and the injury, but it could have been a lot worse. Okay, so here's the story. Southwest Airlines announcing today that they are going to be compensating some of their passengers after this incident earlier this week. Um, Passengers were sent a letter from Southwest 
So if you were a passenger on this plane, you were sent a check by Southwest for $5,000. So $5,000 check as well as a $1,000 travel voucher. So if you want to get back on a Southwest plane, we're going to give you $1,000 to do that. The letter said, we value you as a customer and hope that you will allow us another opportunity to restore your confidence in Southwest as the airline you can count on for your travel needs um, is part of the letter. Southwest has confirmed that it sent it out. Um, They say ours is a company and culture built on relationships. We can confirm the communication and the gestures are authentic and are heartfelt. Now, by accepting the $5,000 payment, um, passengers do not, my understanding is, do not have to agree to waive their right to, like, sue Southwest seeking larger damages. But Southwest has sent this out, $5,000 to everybody, and a $1,000 travel voucher. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For the passengers that were on the plane, but who were not injured. So, I mean, obviously, there's a handful of passengers who were injured. Everybody on the plane was traumatized, obviously. I mean, I can't imagine how scary that would have been. But for the passengers who weren't injured as a result of this, do you think $5,000 should be the end of it? Should they be entitled to more? And again, Southwest isn't demanding that in exchange for this $5,000, you you waive your right to sue us. But they're trying to make this as a gesture of, of good faith. But big picture, I mean, do you think the people that were on that plane should be entitled to more than $5,000 apiece? Again, assuming they weren't injured. The handful of people who were injured, and obviously the unfortunate woman who died, that's a whole different story when it comes to lawsuits. But is $5,000 in your mind sufficient to compensate people for what they went through on that flight? Or should it have been, should it be a lot more? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? $5,000, a nice gesture, just about right, or an insult to the people who were obviously scared to death being on that plane? 414-799-1620, and I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute as well. But what do you think? It's 1241. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Southwest Airlines uh, this week sent out checks for $5,000 to every one person who was a passenger on that plane earlier this week when the engine exploded. Um, in addition, they sent out $1,000 voucher for future flights on Southwest, which might be interesting. Um, they, as a condition of taking this money, you don't have to forego your right to sue Southwest in the future. What we're talking about now is for the people who weren't physically injured, um, is is this enough? Should Southwest be doing more for them? Let's talk to Doug in Fond du Lac. Hi, Doug. You're on WTMJ. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I don't think that they should get anything outside of suing for it. Okay. If they, what, again, for the people who weren't injured, just scared yes. out of their minds, what, do you think they should be entitled to anything? No. Okay. Not at all. We, we've become such a feeble-minded society that any little trauma we want to get money for it now okay now in fairness though doug you know this this is i mean i don't know how often you fly but the plane's at thirty-two thousand feet there's an explosion a passenger is almost sucked through the window the air masks drop down i mean that's that's not really like 
like you stubbed your toe. That that's more than kind of like a little trauma. Understood, but my point is that everywhere you look, everywhere nowadays, people are suing for every little thing under the sun. Mm-hmm. And while this may be much more traumatic than stubbing your toenail, right? Sure. Uh, I just think, as a whole, our society has become so feeble-minded, so weak-minded that it's got to stop somewhere. Okay. Well, thanks, Don. And I bring that because I mean, do I think we have too much litigation? Do I think we have too many people suing over frivolous things? Absolutely. At the same time, uh, it just in fairness, I mean, I'm, as somebody who I used to fly a lot, I now I pretty much just fly for for fun, going places. I, I am trying to picture being at thirty two thousand feet, and if I'm on the plane, and all of a sudden, boom, there's a loud explosion. The plane starts to descend. One of the fellow passengers is being sucked through the window and ends up dying. There's blood all over. I, you know, it, it's not, it's not like that's nothing. <laughs> you know, it's it's not like that's. OG, um, you know, somebody tripped and, and fell and, you know, spilled something. 414-799-1620. But the question is, is is that enough? Mike in Kenosha. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hey. Hi, Mike. So, hey, so I'm thinking, you know, it's a little bit of CYA for Southwest. To sure. Kind of, you know, right. But like you said, man, I don't know. I would still take the money, obviously, but... If I was on there, like you said, with all that blood, I mean, that thing would be one of the scariest things I've ever seen in my oh, life. Oh, yeah. Let's imagine, in, in fairness, I mean, let's imagine you're on the other side of the aisle from that woman right. that gets sucked out of the, the you know, all of a sudden, oh, you know, you, you think you're going to die. You're watching this woman almost get sucked out of the plane. I mean, it, it is an, it's sort of an extraordinary sort of situation. It's it's sure. it's not like, oh, gee, I, I watched somebody trip and they busted their nose and they started bleeding. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, this is a little... A little different. So, I mean, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, we are too happy. You know, we do for everything. But, you know, this might be a case where, you know, it, you know, depending on your mental status, right. I mean, are you going to have nightmares over this? Is this going to cause, you know, something, you know, in your whole life? So you have to look at the thing, you know. Right. No, the, 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 it's the trauma. Gesture. It's a great gesture. I mean, it's a good thing. It's just they're covering their butts to try to hopefully that's going to help. But. Well, they are. I mean, right. I don't think it is. No, no, thanks. I mean, well, I I think there is an element of that, and and there clearly is. I mean, there is a kind of an element of the CYA sort of stuff going on here. Um, At the same time, uh, I think they recognize that there is a a bunch of liability that's out there for this stuff. 414-799-1620. I, I do think I thought the the five thousand dollar cash payment was a good gesture. That the thousand dollar travel voucher eh, that that one's kind of like well we've <laughs> you're all right we you, you almost died on this particular flight but here come fly with us again and here's a thousand dollars to do that. Let's talk to Marie in Waterford. Marie, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, hi. I was hi. just telling your screener that actually the engine made by Sabrin investigators found out that it was actually a broken van right. in there. Okay, so, you know, commend Southwest, the pilot, for landing the plane, and there weren't more people that actually died from this accident. I commend Southwest for giving something within a week of the tragedy, um, but when it comes out, it's not going to be Southwest that actually needs to do anything. It will be G.C. Stafford for the engine blowing up or the maintenance team that 
actually looked at the engine, right? Well, well, well it's going or right. It's going to be my my understanding is that the the federal rules did not require Southwest to do an ultrasonic investigation that would have found the stress fracture that caused the fan to break. Um, Southwest. I think Southwest is now going to do that on all these planes <laughs> to figure out because apparently they did the visual inspection, which is all they were required to do, but it didn't tell them that the fan was getting ready to break and why this ring they have on the engine that was supposed to stop metal from flying, why that didn't work. I guess we're going to have to wait for the NTSB to figure that out. Right, right. So what I'm what I'm saying is actually commend the pilot for landing the plane and there was nobody else killed in this tragedy. I think that's maybe where we should be lying with this. And the $5,000 and whatever you said about a voucher or flight again, hey, it's within a week of the accident. I think people should guess it's a traumatic situation. But all of us people here on Earth go through tragedies. Um, at least they got paid for their tragedy. I don't want my loved one dies. Um, so, like I said, commend the pilot for not having anybody else die. Wait for the investigation to get done and let people sue them. Okay, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. No, 414-799-1620. I guess I'm trying to focus on the idea of emotional distress. And, and you're, you, you are right, Marie, that there's undoubtedly going to be lawsuits about um, the, 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 the product safety issue of this. You know, was it defective? All those different types of things. But from the perspective of the emotional trauma of going through this, um, are, are, should you be entitled to more than $5,000? Mac in Franklin, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Hi. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. What do you think? Um, who is uh, anybody really to judge? Like, put a dollar amount on trauma, like you were saying. Like, mm. is it five thousand dollars enough? I mean, maybe a thousand dollars is enough to somebody else. I'm thinking, why doesn't Southwest just reach out to these these passengers instead of just throwing a number at them and saying, "Here's here's some money," you know. Here's a band aid. Why don't they reach out and say, "What could we do to make it better as a company?" Mm-hmm. Instead well, of I guess I, I don't know. I'm not sure that, yeah, at the same time, I'm not sure that this is, that, that, that they wouldn't do that. It was kind of like, look, we, we know you've gone through something. Here's five grand quick to help you if you've got any sort of immediate sort of things. I mean, if sure. if, if that's the way it's presented, do you have a problem with it? No, not yeah. at all. I mean, as long as it's, you know, set up like that. Now, here's $5,000, then they, you know, they dust off their hands and they turn their eye and they go about their business. Right. Yeah, and I and and if they do that, it will be a massive public relations problem. I, I think. Now, th- thanks for. I mean, here I guess here's the way I look at this. I think uh, that the thousand dollar voucher to fly again. I think I might I might have let that one go because that's kind of like oh gee here get it back on another Southwest flight. And I, look, I'm a fan of Southwest. That's why I started the segment as saying that. What what I I think Southwest is doing the right thing. A- at the same time. There, my guess is that ultimately, when the class action lawsuits start coming in, um, you know, five thousand dollars is just a down payment on what they're going to have to pay. Now, for for the calls we had, where people were saying, "I don't think people are entitled to anything," I, I respectfully disagree. I mean, this this is, uh, you know, we. we I mean, I don't know if people are going to have post-traumatic stress syndrome or things like that, but I always try to put myself in this position. If I was, if if my wife and I were coming back from Las Vegas on Sunday, all right, and, and we're sitting on that Southwest plane, and this happens to us, and all of a sudden the guy across the way is killed as a result of this, and the masks drop, and you have to make this emergency landing, and there's people that are banged around, that's, that is going to be a traumatic, upsetting, stressful 
situation. And my guess is that's going to be something that stays with you for a while. So I, I do think that there's some degree of compensation that's entitled. You know, is it five thousand? Is is it five thousand? Is it five million? Well, it's probably more than five thousand. It's probably less than five million. But I mean, I think Southwest, and this is the way I understand it, they're not forcing people. Is it a way of that you have to give up your rights to litigate to take the five grand? It's like here's five grand. You know. To, to get you started if you have to deal with this stuff. And I, I want to give Southwest a little bit of credit for that. The $1,000 travel voucher, I, I do wonder if anybody that was on that plane is ever going to be flying a plane, is ever going to get, get on a plane again, much less getting on a Southwest plane. It's 1255. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 110. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so Eric, let's where where does the southbound backup really start? Can we tell that where where it starts? So it's Milwaukee County. The so backup starts yes in Milwaukee County. So yes. right and so but. and the 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 accident that caused this the fire and all that's that's, that's in near Racine, K near K yes. in Racine County. Mm-hmm. Okay, so bottom line is, and again we're, we're watching the traffic cameras here. It's it it ranges from a complete stop to a slow crawl, and then it'll stop. I mean, we're just looking at our traffic cameras. Like, right now, it's a really slow crawl. A few minutes ago, it was a complete stop, and it appears to go back and forth. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is, for people who need to go southbound, you really want to find an alternative route. Right? Yes, yes. I mean, that's just the bottom line, because they're still diverting people off the freeway. You just want to find a different route. Skip skip I-43 southbound if you've got to go through Racine County, at least for the time being, right? For the time being, yes. It looks like they do have one lane open near there on K, but yes. It's a front right. Yeah, just... Yeah, <laughs> just like, if we yeah. got if if you are out and about and you got to get from Milwaukee County down to Racine County or Kenosha County or Illinois or whatever, my advice is find an alternative route. Keep listening to us; we'll keep you updated as what's going on. But at the moment, at least in my opinion, if you were me, you want no part of the freeway because I've been watching this traffic camera, and again, it it ranges from a slow crawl to a complete stop. Find some alternative route. You you will you will thank me for that. <laughs> That's just my advice. All right. I I admit, it, it's an oldie. It, it's one of those kind of recurring nightmares. Groom, who's producing the show today and always, you you might be too young. Do you have recurring dreams, like recurring nightmares, or, or not really? I, occasionally, but yeah. A, a, as you get older, there, there's more. I I still have I have these like recurring bad dreams about like missing a class in college. And and not gra- that means I missed the class in college. I'm not ready for the exam. So then they take back my law degree. And I mean, I'm just it's just like okay, your entire life is unraveled because of this. It's this recurring dream that pops up every once in a while. And I mean, I, I there's just not enough time on a couch to figure out where this particular dream comes from. But but it is. It's that kind of re- recurring dream that's out there. Well, this this story is a recurring nightmare that simply does not go away. It is the Milwaukee County pension scandal. Now, I understand that there are some of you who were listening to me at the height of the pension scandal in 2002 and 2003. Um, And for other people, it's like, what is this pension scandal that people keep talking about? Well, the pension scandal is the nightmare that keeps on giving. Long story short, a former Milwaukee County executive who's passed away, his name is Tom Amitt, with the blessing of several of his cronies and with the support of the county board, restructured the Milwaukee County pension system. 
They say they didn't understand the implications of it. Other people suggest, yeah, maybe maybe people, at least some people involved in this whole thing did. But the effect of this was to make county employees rich beyond the dreams of avarice. If you fell into one of these sort of categories that were covered under this supposedly revenue-neutral pension proposal, there's a couple different aspects of what went on. One was um, the, the whole... Um, what they call the backdrop program. And I, I just long story short, the backdrop is what currently allows long serving employees. Let's say you guy in spends your career in the district attorney's office, all right? So you're making decent money. You're making six figures a year as an assistant district attorney. You've worked there for thirty some years. You could again, that's where you see some of these reports of some of these guys and gals retiring. All right? So they retire they're, you know, in their 50s, early 60s. They retire. They want to start collecting their pension. And you've had the stories and you've heard them that they get their regular pension of maybe fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a year. Okay, fine. That, that's the pension. But on top of that, this pension system was restructured as part of the scandal to allow them a backdrop. So that's why you have people taking or getting eight hundred, nine hundred thousand, a million dollars in cash up front and still being able to collect fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars, whatever in pensions. I mean, it's just something that is mind boggling. Now the architects about of this said, Well we we didn't understand this was going to happen. Hmm. Now I, I mean I don't fault the county employees for doing this. I, I don't because I guess my attitude would be if I worked in the DA's office for thirty five years and the elected officials were stupid enough you know, and greedy enough to do this to help them, and I happen to benefit. I mean, I don't fault people for doing it. I mean, you know, would you turn away a million dollars plus being able to collect fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year? And the answer is no, you wouldn't. But it is a nightmare that continues to haunt Milwaukee County moving forward because this is going to be something as as all the people that were covered under the pension scandals time as they start to retire they're going to be drawing more and more money out of the system and it's why Milwaukee County is going to be just a financial nightmare for at least another decade or two because of this so that was the backdrop related also to the backdrop is a second part of the spent pension scandal called the buybacks now here's and again i'm going to oversimplify this um but the way pensions generally work is it's your years of service it's a it's kind of a it's a factor of the number of years you worked and typically the high three years the, the years that you made the most money Right, which tend to be the generally speaking, it tends to be like the last three years. I mean, it, it's generally towards the end of your career because you know you you move up the ladder and all. And so, um, years of service uh, multiply and factored with again the amount of money you're you're like your high three. They don't average all. Let's say you work for the county for twenty five years. They don't average all the money you made over twenty five years. What they do is they look at your high three or your high five or whatever that would be. So. Um, there is there's a benefit to making the most money you can, and typically that occurs at the end of your career. So here's how the buyback program worked. Let's say you had somebody who worked for the county for 15 or 20 years as an adult, 
retire works from the age of 35 to 55 um retires at 55 with 20 years of service in and at the time the job they're working in pays $85,000 all right for the last 3 years so typically it'd be 20 years the time you worked you know and your high average of your high 3 years 85,000 all right here's how the buyback program worked for some of those county workers they worked for the county at earlier times in their careers generally speaking in like low low paying jobs like let's say you know in college you worked for the park system cutting grass for a couple years all right didn't pay into the pension system, or if you did, you cashed out right away. So you work for a couple years as a low-paid employee. You leave county service. It's not continuous county service. You leave county service. You haven't paid into the pension fund, or if you did, you, you took that money back. All right. The buyback program allowed people, senior employees, to go back and essentially, by paying a very minimal amount of money, they could say, hey, you know, you know those three years that I worked cutting grass in the parks, you know, 30 years ago? I want to pay you, and it was a very small amount of money, and I want that to count for an extra three years towards my pension. And the effect of this was to cost the county millions and millions of dollars in pensions. So here's the story that's in the news today, and it involves the Baldwins. Lev Baldwin was the sheriff in Milwaukee County, and his wife, Susan Baldwin, former county board member and a member and, and former parks director. Well, they are back in the news as a result of a court ruling. I'll tell you about that. And then we're going to get a couple comments in just a minute. Stick around. It's 119. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It is 122. This is Jeff Wagner. All right. So th- this is the pension scandal, the just slap in the face of taxpayers that continues. All right. So Lev Baldwin, who was the former sheriff and before that he you know worked in the sheriff's department, he retires in 2002 at the age of 53. He gets a lump sum backdrop payment of $333,000 and he gets an annual pension $70,000 for life. His wife is Sue Baldwin. She um she retires, let's see, at the age of 55 in 2003 after 19 years of service. Um, her pension, $50,377. Well, as it turns out, though, the, the reason the pension was that much money is because she was allowed to buy back pension credits. Apparently what happened is she claims that she worked for the county in 1969 as a county employee in the Register of Deeds office. Now there was a huge issue at the time because there was questions about did did she really work there or or not. Um, Ultimately the county allowed her to do that but because she said she worked as a county employee in the Register of Deeds office for a, a little a limited period of time, she was able for very little money to increase her pension eligibility. And as it turns out, by buying back some of this credit, she was able to get her pension increased $9,000 a year, $9,000 a year, and then start collecting the, the added money. Well, okay, 
about 10 years later, the county starts looking at this and they realize, wait a second, there, there's something wrong here. And these rules that we had in place um, violate IRS rules. Um, you know, the IRS doesn't allow you to, to do this. Um, so these these changes that were made and these aspects of the buyback program that some employees were allowed to do, it, it's it's illegal. It's in violation of IRS rules. It's in violation of other rules. And so what the county does is they say, okay, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start trying to get our money back for this money that you shouldn't, you shouldn't, in other words, you shouldn't have been allowed to participate in the buyback program. The county said yes, but the county was wrong. So they start, again, docking money out of the pensions to try to collect some of the money. Well, all right, the, the Baldwin, Sue Baldwin, Sue, saying, hey, you know, this isn't my fault, Milwaukee County. You know, um, if I wasn't allowed to legally do this, you should have caught this. I, I did it. I did it in good faith. And now I shouldn't have to pay back the money. Yesterday, a court, court of appeals, in this case might go to the Supreme Court, but yesterday the court of appeals agreed with former Milwaukee County Parks Director Sue Baldwin. Even though Baldwin admits that she wasn't eligible for the extra cash, the fact that Milwaukee County didn't catch it um, is apparently now, at least in the opinion of the Court of Appeals, a barrier to them being able to collect this. So all the efforts that the county has done to try to withhold money and collect the overpayments, um, those now go out the window. So what is going to have to happen if this ruling stands up is that she's going to get, uh, again, a huge windfall. She's going to start getting the the accelerated pension payments, the increased pension payments that she got in the beginning, and she's going to get all the money back that she paid into the system. Uh, the pension board is sitting there saying, okay, we, we've got to appeal this because this is just you know fundamentally wrong. And yes, maybe there was a mistake made, but the taxpayers and the other pensioners shouldn't be stuck with this. Now, let me be real clear here. I don't fault Sue Baldwin for trying to get every dollar that she thinks she's entitled to or that she thinks she might be able to claim. I get it. That is human nature. But for anybody who wonders why there's all these problems in Milwaukee County, it, it the pension scandal is the gift that keeps on giving because here, you know, again, this shows you how out of control Milwaukee County was and to the extent still is. Here you have a situation where you had employees who were able to exploit a system that was beyond generous. And as a result, you know, now we are living with the consequences of it. And now you've even got a court of appeals decision saying, yeah, we, we agree that this provision is the way this buyback thing operated. And I'm oversimplifying it. But, yeah, she should never have been allowed to do it. But the county allowed her to do it. And given that the county allowed her to do it, now you can't expect her to pay back the money that she wasn't entitled to receive in the first place or that she shouldn't have been allowed to receive in the first place. And, by the way, you still have to continue paying her moving forward the money at the higher and the increased rates. It is absolutely crazy, absolutely crazy, and it shows you and tells you everything you need to know about how just screwed up Milwaukee County was 
and how the pension scandal and these payments are going to continue to haunt taxpayers of Milwaukee County for the next couple decades, as long as all these people who were able to participate in the buybacks or the backdrops or whatever, as long as they continue to retire and continue to suck money out of the pension system, in many cases, money that they probably shouldn't have been larger payments that they shouldn't have been entitled to if if people had really been up on IRS regulations and if they hadn't had as generous a rules. The pension scandal, the nightmare that continues to recur. It's 128. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 136. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It appears that our, our text line is down. So if you've been sending me texts over the course of the last hour. Uh, you're not, why isn't he reading any on the air? It's because I, we're, we're not getting them right at the moment. We know, we now know the Packers' schedule, and it's littered with primetime games. Greg Matzik shares what he believes is the most difficult stretch for the green and gold. 635 this evening on Sports Central. Be sure to tune in. Greg does an absolutely outstanding job. Okay. Um, Story in the New York Times. We've been talking about this last week. It was, what, a week ago yesterday. You had the the two black men who go into the Starbucks in downtown Philadelphia. Everybody knows the story by now. They're they're not buying any coffee. They're sitting there. They're waiting for somebody to come who's going to – they're going to have a meeting. One of the guys goes up. He asks to use the restroom. You need to have a code to get in the restroom. They say, no, you haven't bought it, purchased anything. We're not giving you the code to the restroom. You're going to either have to buy something or leave. Um, the men refuse to leave. The manager of the Starbucks calls the police. The police show up. They arrest the two for trespassing, and then it becomes this huge cause celeb. The owner of Starbucks flies in from across the country. He's apologizing. Starbucks is going to be closing all its stores for an afternoon sometime in May to give sensitivity training or, or whatever. And, and all of the, the manager of the Starbucks store has apparently been fired, and, and all of that's well and good. Now the two guys that were involved, um, they're out giving interviews. They're uh, doing interviews with newspapers. They're appearing. They appeared on Good Morning uh, America, and um, you know they, you know they're telling their story and they're saying, hey, you know we think we were singled out because of the color of our skin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And you know then then we wondered whether we were going to make it. Then of course you get the drama. We wondered if we were going to make it home alive. You know dealing with the police and all that, etc. Okay, so you know that's all going to play out. And again, these two guys are getting their fifteen minutes of fame, and maybe there will be lawsuits against Starbucks. I I don't know, but this let's put aside Starbucks. This does raise what is is this larger issue with to me with businesses, and I don't care whether it's a Starbucks or a McDonald's, or, you know, any kind of burger doodle, or, you know, a Dunkin' Donuts, or whatever. All right, the place is supposed to be a place of, of business. And, you know, what they do, if you're going to attract paying customers, what you need to do is you need to have a place for those paying customers, for example, to sit. Let's say you run, you know, in any sort of burger doodle sort of restaurant, McDonald's, Wendy's, I don't care. All right. You, you know, if people want to come in and sit and eat inside, you need to have space for them. And if they come to the restaurant and they find that there's no tables available and there's no place for them to sit, well, all right, when they buy their food and they want to eat their food, chances are they're going to probably go to somewhere else the next time. Now, with a place like Starbucks or any of these coffee kind of places, same thing. There's lots of us that just... Mostly you just run in, you grab your coffee, you go. 
But if you want to stay in, you want to sit down and drink your coffee there and use the Wi-Fi or whatever, you need to have a space. So Starbucks is wrestling with the whole idea of sensitivity training. And, of course, the, the problem is if employees are picking and choosing and if they're saying, well, okay, you're a 60-year-old white guy in a nice suit who says he doesn't want to drink any coffee, but he's waiting here for a meeting. If you let that person stay, and then you've got the you know 25-year-old black guy or 25-year-old white guy with long hair, um, you know, and holes in his pants, and you say, okay, well, you say you want to stay here, but we're going to toss you out. You you do run into these issues because then it's like, okay, what is your criteria for doing this? Are you you know? Is it racially based? You know, what's going on? But the bigger problem to me and the bigger policy issue is, you know, moving forward, what are stores to do? You know, is it wrong for a store to have a policy which says our our seats, our booths, our Wi-Fi, our counter space is for paying customers? I mean, if if a store implemented a policy like that, would you applaud it or would it be a turnoff for you? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and I think this is really going to be the legacy of this of this situation because I, I think stores are now going to have to wrestle with this idea of, all right, what is our policy going to be? Are we going to be a community gathering place? where people can come and hang out for hours, or instead, are, are we going to be a place of, hey, you know, the, the space is for our customers. Um, we aren't the public library. Library, We aren't, you know, a public park. We're for paying customers, and, you know, if you're going to stay, you're going to have to buy something, and we also, because we need to have space for new people to come in, we might have to put time limits on how long you stay. If businesses do that, would that be a turnoff to you? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm willing to discuss this, but I, I, I tell you, I mean, I, I guess I, I don't think it is unreasonable at all for a business to say, look, if you want to use our bathrooms – if you want to use our Wi-Fi, if you want to sit on our counter or you want to sit at our tables or you want to sit in our overstuffed chairs, that's fine, but you got to buy something. And, you know, there's got to be time limits on this because, you know, we need to have a turnover of clients because if we don't, we're going to be out of business. Is that an unreasonable position for a business to take as long as you apply it across the board? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. Uh, We'll be back to talk to you in just a moment. It's 142. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We often hear that there's a skills gap in the workforce. What does that mean and how do we solve it? It's Scott Warris in for John McCure, and he and Melissa Barkley will explore that. Tune in at 334 this afternoon. Scott in Madison. Scott, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, so this is is going to be the problem moving forward. How do restaurants, coffee shops, whatever, deal with people who want to come in and sit and not order stuff? I'm with you 100% on this because I live in Madison area and I'm in the food service industry. And I have met customers at local coffee shops to go over floor plans or what they're planning on doing because it's just a, a better environment sure. to be in. And you get, you, you know, you get a bottle of water, you get a cup of coffee, you get a scone, a cookie, something. I mean, these places aren't free. They have to make 
some type of profit to keep paying the bills there. And to expect that you can sit there and loiter is, and, and have a, if you're having a meeting, you just got to do, use some common sense and just buy a little something. I don't think this was racially motivated at all. I think it was something that got out of hand. Yeah. And it's unfortunate, but my stance is if, uh, if, if they start advertising this, as, look, this is what you have to do to be in there. I've got no problem with it whatsoever. Yeah, and I, I guess yeah, and that, that's kind of where I come down on it as well because, I mean, th- they are places of business. It's not a public library. It's not a public park. And, and, and maybe – you know, maybe you don't have an issue with this, but I can certainly imagine urban areas, especially you know during the winter or whatever, that you you, you don't want people just kind of, I'll use your word, loitering in there because hey, you've got yeah. heat on in here because then, you know, pretty soon that place is going to go out of business if the paying customers can't get in because everybody's just sitting around to get outside of the cold, get out of the cold. You're absolutely correct, and we all know that some of these coffee shops are pretty plush. They're kind of a, a desirable place. Oh, to yeah. Sit. And have a conversation. So what do you do for, you know, I'm going to use Madison as an example because there is a, a lot of help uh, homeless that we're dealing with in Madison. Mm-hmm. So what if uh, um, they decide, well, we're just going to go and park it here and there's really not anything that anybody can do about it. That becomes a problem. Well, I it mean, does. No, I, think, I mean, using your example of Madison, I mean, there, there's an ongoing problem in Madison that even the hippy-dippy mayor is aware of, of, again, members of the homeless population going in and, and using the, the restrooms like in the city-county building um, to, uh, you know, to for hygiene things. Okay, yeah, we're, we're going to bathe in the sink and do stuff like that. Okay, well, th- does that mean that you have to allow that in a private in a private business where where is the balancing point now, like i say starbucks got in trouble because to the extent it's unclear whether they had a policy and it's unclear it does appear that if they had a policy it wasn't being enforced across the board which is where you get the, the problems that that come in all right you let the 65 year old lady stay but you throw out the two 30 year old black guys i mean that's that's what creates one of these issues. So if you've got a policy, you have to enforce it. I don't guess I don't have a, a problem with that as a policy overall. Let's talk to Brent in Sockville. Brent, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. I'm, Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. All the stuff that they offer is an amenity for their business. And if you're going to go in, you should be going in for the business, not just to sit there. Mm-hmm. You know, I... I if you do, if you don't go back in, if you go in and you don't buy something, you shouldn't be there. Okay, know? well, what if, so, I mean, this is a practical matter, Brent. Okay, let's say, let's use the example the last caller did. Um, I, I am a contractor, you are a potential customer, and we're trying to arrange a, a convenient meeting place. Um, hey, Brent, um, I, I know there's a, there's a, there's a Starbucks or there's a Burger Doodle, you know, right down the street from your office. How about we meet at that Burger Doodle at at noon and we'll go over the plans? You don't think it's unreasonable if if you say, yeah, Jeff, that's great. We'll meet there. You think that both of us should should have to at least buy something if we're going to use that place? Yeah, it's a it's a business. They're selling. They're they're in the business of selling you something. They're not in the business of having. A place for you to sit because you want to talk there. Common courtesy would say, "Hey, okay, we're going to use your space. I'll buy a soda. I'll right. buy a burger. We'll just sit there and we'll do our meeting. We'll take up our space, but yet 
we got something from them and they got something from us and everyone kind of won because everyone got what they needed. Yeah, we're, I mean, well, I mean, it's true. If you were going to rent, and I guess if you were going to, um, for example, if, if you wanted to rent a room for a meeting or something, you know, at a hotel or whatever, you have to pay for that. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, and, and this is, I mean, thanks to, to some extent, I think this is the equivalent of it. I mean, I would not be offended by a policy that said, and, and I guess I'll, I'll back up. I was in Key West um, in February. I love Key West. Tourist town, you know, great town. There, there's up and down. The main the main drag in Key West is is Duval Street. And, my, my gosh, it seems like on, on every given block there's stores. There's probably three or four restaurants on both sides of the street or bars or whatever. And it's a tourist town. But, they, I mean, I will tell you, I want to say in the vast majority of the, the bars and restaurants and the stores, I mean, they had signs up that said, you know, our restrooms are for paying customers. A- and, you know, what, was it a bit of an inconvenience? Perhaps. But, I mean, I think, you know, their concern is, you know, we've got people coming in. They want to use our restrooms. And, you know, we, we want this to be confined for our patrons. I wasn't offended by that. And there were a couple occasions where either my wife or I needed to use the restroom. And so, oh, wait, hey, I like this bar here. Here, we'll, we'll go. We'll, we'll buy a beer or buy a soda or whatever. And, you know, we'll use their bathrooms and then we'll move on. 414-799-1620. Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, good afternoon. Yes, hey, Jeff. Um, I guess um, a part of this, uh, I, my thought is it also goes a little bit to what your intent is in being there. So, in other words, someone can instantly be thrown out, uh, you know, just because they didn't buy something. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it's understood that, you know, they're meeting a party, they're about to have a meeting, like we talked about, the client, customer. I mean, it's a very common thing where, you know, you plan to, you know, meet a party at a restaurant, meet some friends, and some people show up ahead of others, and, mm-hmm. you know, and then you say, I'm just going to wait, you know, I mean, just out of courtesy. I mean, it would be rude to order the drink ahead of the, <laughs> the customer. The right, sure. You sure. Know, yeah. So oh. Oh. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Uh, okay, Jeff. Uh, you you get there before me, and you say I, I'm I'm meeting my friend Jeff, um, and then we're going to figure out what we're going to do. I'm just going to hold off for a minute. I I mean I agree with you completely. Right. So, sure. I mean that should have maybe been made clear in the Starbucks case if that's what was you know what was going on, and I don't know. Of course, we don't know exactly you know how it was communicated, but you know by the same token, if someone does come and orders a cup of coffee, I don't think that gives them carte blanche entitlement to set up shop and oh. hang out there for the next four hours. Well, no, and you see, and this is an ongoing issue that I know. Every once in a while, we get these stories about, and I'm going to I'm going to pull McDonald's out of the air because I know there's been a couple with them, and I don't mean to pick on McDonald's, but where you have like a, a group of people that, for example, meet regularly or hang out at the McDonald's, and they'll buy a cup of coffee, and then they'll sit at the table for for hours, and sure. it's always that delicate balancing because yes, they're they're the client, but at the same time. You know, if you've got if you've got a group of twelve people that's kind of having a coffee clutch every day, and they buy, you know, they buy their dollar coffee, and that's great. But they sit there for three hours. You got to turn around. Yeah. You got to turn those tables over somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I've been to some places where they even limit the Wi-Fi to like you know thirty minutes or something. Yeah, on the receipt is like a code, and it limits oh. you to like you know thirty minutes of Wi-Fi, and that kind of helps remind you that oh, maybe it's time to go. My Wi-Fi is no longer going to work. <laughs> yeah, and I think that I mean, thanks. I mean, I think. You know, look, Starbucks grossly mishandled this. I don't think there's any question about it. But I think moving forward, if if Starbucks, the reaction that Starbucks, if the reaction they have is, all right, we are going to essentially be a community center. Come in, get out of the war, get out of the cold, use our Wi-Fi, hang out. 
We don't expect you to buy anything. If that's the policy that they end up coming out with, I think they're going to be very, very sorry because I don't think places can stay in business with that. I, I think you have to be reasonable about this, but I think there is an expectation that if you're going to go in and you're going to hang out at a place of, if you're going to hang out at a restaurant or a coffee shop or whatever um, for a, a long period of time and you're going to be taking up tables that are really there for the paying customers, you, I think you got to either be a paying customer or you got to move on. I am going to be fascinated to see how Starbucks deals with this because now that you've got the overtone of you know racism that's playing here, almost any policy they come out with that limits people's ability to stay in the store without buying something is going to be viewed through that prism. It's 156. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 209. This is Jeff Wagner. One more hour my program before we take a break for the weekend. A lot of stuff to cover. Sometime during this hour, we will have, as part of our Welcome Back Baseball promotion, a four-pack of tickets to see the Brewers play the Pirates and a $50 gift card from our sponsor, MelvinMulch.com, to give away. We've got that coming up, Pop Culture Corner at 2.30. Oh, it is a very springish type of Pop Culture Corner. I'm looking forward to that. In just a couple minutes, the weirdest story of the week. Eric Bilstead, would you, all right, you, you, you know, you're the news guy. Okay, just, the, would you like to guess what uh, the weirdest story, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. Local you or, on spot. Local no, or just, national? No, national, just any, right, the weirdest story of the week. Oh, I'm trying to think of like entertaining, all right. Okay, well, be, be, be listening, because I, I guarantee you, this is, be listening, this is the, I, I've got what I think is the weirdest story of the week, okay. and it got sort of no, I, but all right. So be listening in a couple all minutes. Right, right. Um, before that, though, an update on something we talked about extensively. Deontay Long is the all-star basketball player um, who led Washington High School to um, the finals of the Division Two state championship th- this year. Um, great basketball player. He's also, well, I, I don't want to judge him as a person, but he's done some very despicable things. Um, here you have a guy who has life by a certain part of the anatomy. You know, um, just a great basketball player. Has skills that most people would just kill for, but, but you know, don't have. So what happened was um, last last year, um, last June, Long and four other individuals. Now, this is this guy. This would have been after his sophomore year at Washington, superstar basketball player. He and four other individuals robbed a sandwich delivery driver of $140. The group then attempted to rob a woman walking her dog in the early morning and then, not satisfied with that, carjacked another woman as she parked her car. Now, Long was only charged uh, as party to a crime of an armed robbery with the, the with the robbery of the sandwich driver, but um, they sort of read in the other charges because uh, it was it was a group. You know, he and his he and his buddies are out there. You know, it's the carjacking, it's the armed robbery, whatever. Uh, the case this was in June, and the wheels of justice turned very very slowly, especially when you're a star basketball player, and the case dragged on through the the fall and, interestingly, through the basketball season. The WIAA, 
and the Milwaukee public school system apparently does not care whether or not you are charged with a serious offense or not, at least as far as it affects your eligibility. So what happened is Long served a suspension uh, during the cross-country season, because he also participates in cross-country, and then when basketball season rolled around, he was able to participate in basketball while the charges were pending. What I found, and I think a lot of people found to be particularly aggravating, was even after he was convicted, forget the innocent until proven guilty, even after he was convicted of a felony, he was allowed to continue playing basketball because WIAA member schools and MPS apparently don't give a rat's rump about character or about people who commit serious crimes. And I'm sorry, I, I would argue that party to a crime of armed robbery is a serious crime. They, they Forget all this stuff about character counts. He was allowed because he was a great basketball player, and I, this, I will believe this to my dying day. If this guy was a spud, if he was not a good player, if he was me, if he was me, you know, uh, you know, uh, somebody who would would never, you know, bleed a team to, you know, a state basketball title. I mean, there, there's no question. If this was me, I would have been off that team, you know, faster than you can say, you know, lickety split. But because you've got a superstar, Washington continued to play him. The WIAA said, well, we don't have any rules about this, so, you know, don't expect us to do anything. And apparently member schools of the WIAA don't have a concern about this either. So he was allowed to continue to play even after being convicted of party to a crime of armed robbery. The sentencing conveniently was put off until after the end of the basketball season. He was convicted, but the sentencing was put off. Um, Then it was supposed to be in March. It was delayed again. The sentencing, it did, in fact, occur today. So um, here's the sentence. Pedro Colon, Milwaukee County judge, and, and the devil is in the details, so there's one aspect of this I'm not sure about. But, okay, the, the, the jail, what happened was he was put on five years of probation with a condition that the first 12 months be served in, in prison, presumably like the county jail. That would be my guess. Don't know for sure. So 12-month prison term, that's the way the Journal Sentinel is reporting it, a condition of five years probation. Then they say it's going to be reviewed in six months and the judge could release him at that time. So right now it's an initial sentence of six months confinement, April to May, May to June, June to July, July to August, August to September, September to October. Conceivably, conceivably, Long could be released just in time for the basketball season next year, conceivably. Now, I don't know that that's going to happen, but the way I look at this, at least it is possible that he could, because he's going to be a senior, it, it could be that you will now have somebody, if he is if he is released, um, he will be in a position, I, unless somebody does something, I think, to rejoin the Washington basketball team. Don't know for sure. Um, and, again, it's possible that they won't reduce his probation and that, that they won't you know, relu- reduce the initial sentence. But the, the larger point, and it's beyond this young man, it's just it's beyond this guy. It is the fact that I think it is nothing but a stone cold embarrassment 
and I mean an embarrassment, that you can have a high school athlete be convicted of a felony, particularly a felony that involves a crime of violence, and that person can still be allowed to participate in um, activities, competitive sport activities. I mean, really? I mean, if we are trying to send a, a message to young people that, you know, athletics are a privilege and you need to have some degree of character and things like that, I, I would think at the very least a felony conviction should end your high school career, whether it's basketball or cross country or swimming or whatever. And apparently the WIAA and its members don't necessarily agree with that, and that is nothing short of an embarrassment. Like I say, th- this story to me, it goes beyond this young man. It goes beyond this young man. It is the broader point of are we going to say in Wisconsin that character matters or don't we care? Don't we care that you have somebody? And where do you draw the line? What about a kid that's convicted of sexual assault that gets put on probation? Is that going to be okay? I mean, where do you, in fact, draw the line? And if you're not going to draw the line at a felony conviction, I don't know where you do. And, again, forget this, young man, one way or the other. I don't care about that. But the big picture is, some point in time, don't these high schools and the athletic directors need to stand up and say, you know what, this is more than are you a good player. This is about if you make some of these really, really bad mistakes, you shouldn't be allowed to participate in these interscholastic athletics and activities. In any event, Dante Long sentenced today, 12 months, uh, well, five years of probation, 12 months in of a prison term, reviewable after six months. You decide if justice was done in the sentence. But bigger picture, why are people who get convicted of felonies allowed to continue to play high school sports? Ask your high school athletic director that. It's 218. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Melissa, to me, this is the oddest story of the day. You've seen the story about the uh, oddest story of the week. The, the, the woman, the National Guard reservist who took oh, the, the oath dinosaur? with the hand puppet. Oh, I don't get that. <laughs> okay. No, yeah. All right. All right. Here, here, here is the story. Um, it's 222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Th- this video has gone viral. I hate to say it because it's such a cliche, but I got to tell you, th- this see, there's stories that I, I, I find to be bizarre, but at least you can think, all right, well, I kind of understood how it happened. And then, then there is this story. Perhaps you have seen the video. I didn't bother having us post a link to it because it, it's just so weird. There's a, a woman who is re-enlisting in the the Tennessee Air National Guard. All right, now, as a condition of this, you have to take the oath of enlistment. All right? Okay. So if you haven't seen this video, it's almost difficult to describe. Um, She's she's a public affairs officer. Master Sergeant, her name is Robin Brown. And you've got guy who was a colonel <laughs> and i say was because he's swearing her in and there's somebody again videoing this and she's standing there this would be the woman who's taking the oath she's got a dinosaur hand puppet on her hand and as he this is the colonel is reading the reenlistment oath do you solemnly swear she's she's mouthing the words with the hand puppet now, I understand 
That sounds weird. I understand if you haven't seen this video, you're saying, did, did Wagner just say what he said? Yes, yes. They're all they're in uniform. They're in fatigues. The colonel is standing there. He's reading the oath, and she's standing there mouthing the the oath by moving the hands of of the hand puppet. And then there's somebody else who's videoing this. So they end up posting this this video. She's using again. Yes, I I, I understand how weird this is. She's using the hand puppet puppet to mouth her words as she recites the reenlistment oath. The video has racked up millions of views. Needless to say, um, it it hasn't necessarily been received well. The woman has been tossed out of the National Guard. The colonel who did this has been tossed out of the National Guard. And the um, sergeant who, he's a sergeant, who recorded the ceremony, has been reprimanded and removed from his position as a unit first sergeant. They say the Tennessee National Guard holds the oath of enlistment in the highest esteem because the oath signifies every service member's commitment to defend our state, nation, and freedoms we all enjoy. Not taking this oath solemnly and with the utmost respect is firmly against the traditions and sanctity of our military family and will not be tolerated. Okay, so I guess... I sort of look at at this, and my question is, why why would anybody do this? I mean, why why would the woman decide that she's going to put the hand puppet on and do the the reenlistment oath? Okay, that that's really weird. Number one, why would the other guy film it? That's weird. Number two, but the oddest part. I mean, and I understand. You know, you, I, you say, okay, let's get to the weird part. That that you have. It's either a colonel or a lieutenant colonel who gives her the oath while she's doing the hand puppet. Now, I mean, that's okay. If I'm that colonel or lieutenant colonel or whatever, and I've got some crazy person standing there with a hand puppet, I, I my my reaction would be. What in the world? Or fill in another blank. What in the world are you doing? Are you out of your mind? Well, I just think this is clever or whatever. At that point in time, I think I send her to a medical exam, and maybe I do a fitness sort of report. So of all the things, I mean, it's the colonel that is the weirdest one that he allowed it to participate. It's kind of like, okay, gee, you've got a bunch of children who are misbehaving, and you sit there and you watch them misbehave. Uh, It's just, if you haven't seen the video, and again, I I could have posted a link. I, I think a lot of people probably have. But to me, the absolute strangest story of the week maybe of the month this this whole thing about taking the reenlistment oath while while mocking while using a hand puppet and the colonel allows this to happen i know many of you have been in the military all right i know many people who are currently in the military can you imagine taking your oath of enlistment with a puppet on your hand and the whoever gave you that oath allowing you to do it i mean seriously and yet, that's exactly what happened down in Tennessee. It's 227. Hey, if you want to get a head start for Pop Culture Corner, um, we are going to be filming it. I'm kind of in a recognition of the, the days when Marquette University was a good place to go to school before it became politically uh, completely and totally correct. I've got my Marquette University Law School uh, sweatshirt on, and we're up on our studio camera. If you go to WTMJ.com slash studio cam, you'll be able to see us in the studios. All right. Before we do that, I have a four-pack of tickets. Welcome back, baseball. 
to see the Milwaukee Brewers play the Pittsburgh Pirates on May 6th. That is a Sunday and a $50 gift card from MelvinMulch.com. Caller number 15, 414-799-1620. Caller 15 wins that four-pack of tickets to help us welcome back baseball. It's 228. 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The tracks are down in downtown Milwaukee, and the testing is ongoing. What will ridership look like on the new streetcar? I try my best to read that line with a straight face. What will ridership look like on the new streetcar? Gene Miller takes a look at 651 Monday on Wisconsin's Morning News. Be sure to check that out. Oh, by the way, it is week two of Lena Taylor Watch. Two weeks ago today, Lena Taylor, State Senator Lena Taylor, was involved in this dust-up at at a bank in downtown Milwaukee. A citation was issued. Rather than apologize, she has lawyered up, her lawyer telling TV stations, well, I haven't talked to her about whether she did, in fact, use the N-word to address um, the the teller at the bank. And I haven't talked to her about this because I want to see what the body camera looks like from the police that were there. I want to see what the surveillance video looks like. Um, To me, she should have apologized right away, but she's lawyered up and apparently is trying to see if the city attorney's office is not going to pursue a citation. It has been two weeks. It has now been two weeks. As I said yesterday, I have the greatest respect for Milwaukee City Attorney Grant Langley. But at some point in time, this is not a difficult situation. This is not one that you need to wait week after week. And I think the public has a right to know. Also, you want to talk about an embarrassment for the media. If this were, if this were a Republican, if this were... Robin Voss or Alberta Darling or the list goes on and on who was accused of being in a bank creating a disturbance addressing a teller by using the n-word you know that this would be an ongoing front page story you would have Reverend Al Sharpton fly in from New York you would have the media camped out on the front lawn or in front of the front lawn of whoever that Republican was, but because, well, I mean, you can figure out why this isn't happening, why the newspaper isn't reporting on this, um, and it's, well, there's nothing to say. Well, I understand that there's nothing to say right now, but the question is, you know, would would this be treated the same way if it were Republican? And I think the answer is clearly no, um, but it's week two of Lena Taylor Watch, and the question will become, what does City Attorney Grant Langley do, and how soon will they release the body camera of the incident, the body camera video, and the surveillance video? Because I think some people hope that this issue is going to go away, and I don't think it is. Okay. We put aside the heavy lifting. We stop talking about James Comey. We stop worrying about North Korea. We stop worrying about a number of the other things that are going on in the world. And we try to go at least a little bit gently into the good weekend. I call this segment Pop Culture Corner, where some days we talk about TV, sometimes movies, sometimes sports, sometimes food. Today, well, it is spring, and a young man and a young woman's fancies oftentimes turn to automobiles. This is, and what's really got me going on this is, I'm in the market, and in the next couple weeks, um, I'm going to, my wife and I are going to be buying a a new car for her. This This is her car. Originally, we were... Originally, my plan was to, my, my car is about a year old. We were going to trade in her car. She was going to take mine, and then I was going to get a new car for myself. But that's that's not fair. That's not right. You know, she deserves, 
she deserves a new car on her own. So we are now in the process. We've kind of decided, you know, what sort of vehicle we want. But it, it's kind of fun, at least for me, to be starting to think about, okay, new cars and how cool this, this is. And you cannot have that conversation without also thinking about how ingrained kind of the, the car culture is. And, and we were actually talking the other day about, you know, does she like her current car? Um, what are some of the cars she's driven? You know, what was her favorite? And I was starting to talk about some of my favorite cars. And it is always amazing to me. And especially, you know, as you get to spring, as you get to summer, all the people are starting to take their fun cars out of storage. And you start to see more and more specialty cars, you know, driving around. And, and I was really thinking about, like, like, some of the automobiles that I have really enjoyed. Now, I'm not a car guy like you may be. I, I, I'm not. To me, first of all, I, I want something that's a little bit fun, but most importantly, I want reliable transportation. I mean, I don't, I don't want to have to deal with that. I am not a mechanic, so if something breaks down, um, it's going to be, you know, get it to the shop and then wait. I mean, I don't do my own oil changes or things like that, but I do appreciate fun cars, and I've had some fun cars over the years, and I've had friends who've had some really fun cars. And so I thought, spring is coming, the snow is melting, I'm looking to buy a car in the next few weeks. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For, for Pop Culture Corner this week, here's what I title the segment. I wish I still had that car. The vehicle that you've had over the course of your lifetime that, you know, you, you wish you were still able to drive it in its prime. Now, I understand, you know, maybe it's the car that you just drove into the ground 200,000 miles and you just had to get rid of it. But but maybe it was that car you had as a kid and you didn't realize how cool that car was. But that car that you miss, I wish I still had that car. 414-799-1620. Our text line is now back working again as well, so you can also text us. Um, and, again, WTMJ.com slash Studio Cam. You can see how this all happens. I'll tell you what, let me take a very quick break. Uh, Gru is lining up the calls as we speak. 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I wish I still had that car. It's Pop Culture Corner for a Friday afternoon, 241. Jeff Wagner. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Pop Culture Corner. I wish I still had that car. People are texting me pictures of themselves with those cars. Dana sends me one. 1936 Buick Special, original engine, transmission, and interior. Dire financial straits made me sell it. I miss it. <laughs> 414-799-1620. Jim in Franklin. Jim, you're first. Hello. Hey, Jeff. I wish I had my 1968 Mustang. Oh, what color was it? Uh, well, I bought it. It was powder blue, but I had it repainted to uh, midnight blue. Okay. And uh, that was a sweet car that I had uh, my senior year in high school at Homestead. And <laughs> um, then I went to UWM on the east side, and I was going coming back from church at St. Peter's and Paul. Right. And um, I totaled it. You totaled it? Oh, my yeah, God. But I wasn't going fast. It was no. a fender bender, but it, it slammed the radiator into the fan. Yeah. And that was all it took for the insurance company to total it, so... After that, I had a, a green, a grasshopper green uh, Mustang too, which was something, yeah. <laughs> something else. Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting. My my dad at one point in time went through a, a car collecting mode, and he had, 
I, I want to say it was like a 70 Mustang, and it was it was that light color blue, too, that you're talking about. Yeah. And then, then he had like a 74 Mustang convertible, and I actually like the I like the convertible. That, that was kind yeah. of that, I, like he was going to allow me to drive it, right? But it, it was it was it was a fun car to spin around in on occasion. I like the convertible. Thank, thanks for going. But yeah. I mean, Mustangs, I mean, man, that's I mean, back in the day, you know, the Mustangs. And of course, then you you had the Firebirds and Camaros before they wrecked them. Yeah. 414-799-1620. Renee and Waukesha. Renee, good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Renee. I miss my turquoise blue 71 Buick Skylark. Renee, you and I didn't date in high school, did we? No. <laughs> the, the reason I ask is because, I mean, my, my first girlfriend in high school, she had a 71 turquoise blue, honest to God, Skylark. And... She was a year older. She got to drive. And so we started dating when I was a sophomore and she was a junior or, or ju- she was a sophomore and I was a freshman or whatever. But she had wheels. I mean, there was an appeal and she drove that Buick Skylark, too. I loved it. It was amazing. Mine had a white vinyl top and uh, not white. It was like a cream color. And the seats inside were cream colored also. And it was the most amazing car I've ever owned. It, oh, it was so fun to drive. And it looked so cool. You know, everybody would always... Wow, that's a really nice-looking car. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I see, I, I mean, all I remember is I was dating a girl who had wheels. I mean, I was like a freshman in high school, and, and she had a car, and her parents let her drive it and all that. It was, that was, we, we, we had mobility. There was that appeal. Jerry in West Bend. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Jerry. I had a 66 Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> okay. I, I know it's not a hot rod or a fancy car, but... I love that car. It was dependable. Like you, I'm not a mechanic. Yep. That thing went through anything in the wintertime. Um, the simplicity of the car, I don't know if people know a lot about the older Volkswagens. Um, the, 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 engine was, the engine was in the, it was in the rear for those cars, right? Right. Yeah. It, did, it did not have a heater. <laughs> you, you'd have to reach behind you, and underneath the back seat there was some... Um, fence you'd open up and then you'd crack the wing window and that would create a draft coming from the engine pulling the heat off the engine and bring it into the car <laughs> it didn't have a windshield washer it had a hose that plugged into the spare tire and you push a button on the dash if you wanted windshield washer but what that was you had to make sure that you always kept air in your spare tire right or or, or else so, uh, basically i'm look I, i'm a huge fan of uh I'm a huge fan of, of VW Beetles, and as a matter of fact, I, I, I owned one until, until recently, but uh, it, it was different. Now the ones they make have the engines in the front and things like that, but very dependable. Mike in Bayview. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? I'm well, thank you. The car you wish you had was? A 69 Roadrunner. Ooh. That was the one with the big engine, right? Yep. I had a, well, I, I had a 383 inside of it, and... Uh, it was everything was stock, but so when I went down to when I I went to high, I had that in high school. When I would go down a block, you know, I just had the purdy engine. It was a dual exhaust. <laughs> that car, that car was just so nice. It really was. It was, it was just just oh. fantastic. I should have kept it. But oh. one day I woke up and uh, parts were all stolen off of it. I couldn't believe it. Well, you know that's that's one of those cars that I, I think collectors still look for those Roadrunners, um, just because I mean some of the original American muscle cars right there. Oh yeah, I saw I saw those cars on uh, on the uh, you know the car auctions you know, on TV that they show, and I I looked at those and they're going for a hundred and twenty, hundred thirty, 
140,000 hours, and I'm going, oh, God. <laughs> I should have I kept it. I should have kept it. No, thanks for the call. I get it. Let's talk to Bill in Baraboo. Bill, thanks for listening. You're in WTMJ. Hi. Thanks, Hi. Jeff. I'm going to talk about my car, my first car that I ordered from the hometown dealer when I was in Vietnam. It was a 1969 Pontiac GTO, the most beautiful car I've ever driven. Yep, yep, yep. And was it waiting for you when you got back? It was waiting for me when I got back. I, I went down and paid for it the, the day after I got home and left it at the dealership because I didn't trust myself. <laughs> went back the next day and picked it up. Uh, how long did you drive it? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. <laughs> uh, five or six years and sold it to my younger brother. Okay. Okay, it's a, it was one of those where if you could go back and go back in time, though, you'd, you'd be driving one of those Pontiac GTs, huh? Absolutely, GTO. GTO, right? It's you know, I yeah. thanks for I owned a, um, gosh, yeah, I'm trying to think of when it would. I owned a Firebird. It was a green Firebird for a while. My problem was the year the year I it, it was a. It was a mechanic. The thing was breaking down all the time, and it's just I. It was a cool looking car. It was a fun car to drive. It was a sporty car to drive. It was just always, always, always in the shop. And finally, it kind of wore me down. Let's see. Let's talk to uh, John in New Berlin. John, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, hello, Jeff. You're, uh, the car you wish you still had. Uh, my 1958 Chevrolet Impala. You had a 58 Chevy. I did. <laughs> wow. I bought it in 1967 from uh, a friend of mine who got it from a school teacher that was trying to repair it and couldn't get it fixed. He had some problems with the lifters. However, I got it fixed. I paid $75 for it. <laughs> now, what's unique about this car is, you remember, your Pala was the first year that came out in 1958. It was kind of their Starship car. Okay. You know, full power, power brakes, power steering, power windows, a big V8 engine, automatic transmission. That was kind of the norm for that car. Mm-hmm. This car had no power steering, no power brakes, no power windows, a straight six-cylinder, three-on-a-tree overdrive. Okay. So it was very rare. Yeah. Huh. But it was. I drove it for about a year and a half, and I didn't have to put a lot of money into it at all. So I think I maybe had 150 bucks invested in it with the purchase of the car. Oh, oh, and you had a lot of fun. Now, thank, I mean, thank, they're this. Like the okay, you're fifty eight Chevys, very very cool. And see, you, when you say things like you're talking about now with, with that, with like no power steering and no power brakes and no power windows, people nowadays look and say, "What do you mean they really sold cars like that?" Yeah, and it's this is the time way before Al Gore invented the internet, where they actually had televisions that were still black and white. Let's talk to Tony in Sussex. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Okay, the car you wish you still had was. My 1972 Lincoln Continental Mark IV. Okay, a big one, a big cruising car. Yes, sir. I bought it in 1989. Me and my uh, my friend, we took a trip up to Blackville because I was seeing if I was going to go up there and play football. On the way back, we saw the car. It was in a lot being sold for like $1,500. <laughs> I talked her down to like 500 and drove it home that day. <laughs> oh, and you must have been styling in that car, I can imagine. You have no idea. <laughs> I'm like, I love that car, but I only had it for like two and a half months because I allowed my brother to drive it for less than one day. He managed to take it out one day and wreck the entire front end. 
<laughs> See that you, you you trusted your brother. Thanks for going. You screwed up. You trusted your brother. A uh, car I wish I still had. Um, I had a Honda Prelude. It was like a nineteen eighty four, maybe it was like a nineteen eighty four Honda Prelude. A little car, but it was stylish. It was fun. I liked it. Honda changed the Prelude. Ended up you know killing the model and stuff. But I love that Honda Prelude. Um, I kind of like the car I've got right now too. But this is sort of fun. It's the way people just uh, relate to automobiles. When we come back, Scott Warris is in for John McCure. We'll find out what he and Melissa have on their minds. It's 255. This is Jeff Wagner.